Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 41 of the podcast, the Everton Motor Racing Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed your week. We are back again with another guest, as you can tell, and I'm joined again by Jacob. Yep. Sorry, boys. I'm still here. Yeah, still here. Um, And we're 41, Jacob. So who's that? Which rider is that? Well, the true goat, Alicia Spargaro. <laughs> Your favourite rider, I believe. Yeah, I do love his leash. I got to be honest. Yeah, he's a good boy. Yeah, and we've also we've got we're um, we've got a guest on today. We have got a guest. Sorry, we've got a new podcast host as well. Wait. Who we are throwing completely into the deep end this weekend <laughs> for his first podcast with the world supersport champion. Um, so I'd like to welcome Cameron to the show. Hello. Thanks for having hey, me, Cameron. Yeah, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. I'm. Um, we're also. I'm using the camera, and it's just. It's just killing itself over <laughs> it. So. <laughs> we're just trying to bear with it. Um. But yeah, and we have got, as you can probably tell by the title, we have got the 2021 World Super Sport Champion Dominique Agata on the podcast. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Hello. It's oh, mate. Honestly, it is such a pleasure to have you on this podcast. You have no idea. Like I remember. When I first started watching the sport, you know, I remember watching you riding back in Motor 2 and I always followed your racing and stuff. So to be able to speak to you like this is like, for me, it's like, yeah, bucket list, bucket list ticked. Yeah, it's <laughs> a thrill. I've got to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I've seen you on quite a few podcasts, actually. I've seen you on, you on Michael Hill's one quite recently. Um, and that was quite good. And then you've been on uh, BT as well. BT's podcast, The American Guy. Yeah. Yeah, um, he's, he's, he's he's brilliant. VT is he's fantastic. I don't think we'll, we'll be anywhere near his level. He is he's spectacular, but uh, <laughs> yeah. we can try. <laughs> yeah, he's um, really good. But yeah, so, you know, we've got, you're also actually our very first world champion on the podcast as well. So, you know, that is, for us, that's quite cool. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a that's definite bucket list stuff, isn't it? So yeah, yeah congratulations so, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, congratulations to you. You know, congrats for uh, obviously taking that title as a rookie as well. The, the Super Sport Championship as a rookie, it's it's no easy feat. Yeah, thank you, and uh, of course, also happy New Year to you all. <laughs> oh, happy yeah. New Year, thank you. <laughs> yeah, happy yeah, New oh, Year, yeah, happy appreciate New that. Year. <laughs> Yeah, at least somebody's, you know, you're on the ball over it. And obviously, <laughs> you're also riding Moto E as well. Many will have um, seen your um, antics on track. We will get into the season finale a bit later on, because I really want to ask you about that. And obviously, uh, the dramatics of the whole situation. Um, but we have a question we ask all our guests at the start of each podcast. It's quite a simple, basic podcast question, just to kind of get maybe our listeners, maybe a, a view into the world of Dominique Agata, and we ask you, what five songs are you currently listening to? <laughs> oh, um, it's Friday night, so yes. there's a special song. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know really the uh, the name of the song. Okay. Oh, is it that it's Friday right. then? Uh, it's Saturday, Sunday. Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday then. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what? It. I don't think anyone knows the name of that song. They just know the no. words. It just it just comes on every so often in like a TikToker and uh, something or other. <laughs> yeah, what a banger. 
What about uh, that banger? Was it Friday by Rebecca Black? You know that one? Absolute throwback. Oh my god, Dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so are you listening to any any tunes at the moment? What kind of music are you into, Dummy? Um. Yeah, I I listen quite many many songs, many music styles. Yeah. Uh, it's always depending of the mood, but yeah, it's from rock to house to nice. R&B, hip hop, a um, little bit like hardcore, and yeah, all kinds nice. of music. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Have you got any favorite songs or? Uh, yeah, I have many favorite songs, but I cannot really tell you which which one is it. <laughs> uh, it's too embarrassing. That's what it is. Is, is it Barbie Girl by any chance? <laughs> you know, like absolute anthem of a song. <laughs> Do you know? Well, you play that in any club, it'll go off. So it's not that. Bad. Oh yeah, like you put that, play that song in a club, man. Everything, the roof goes off the place. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah so what we'll do we'll get into the podcast a bit more now um got a few questions lined up we've also asked our incredible followers on instagram to input some questions for us as well uh mm-hmm. things that they want to know so yeah. obviously i want to go right back to the start with you right back to when you first actually began racing because obviously switzerland racing isn't like motorcycle racing, it's not a massive sport over there. It's not, you know, you've got probably other sports that are more competitive and more kind of commonly well-known. So what is it that actually got you into racing and made you, you know, begin your career riding a motorbike? Yeah, like you say, we have uh, in Switzerland uh, no racetracks. Um, hmm. the, the people like motorsport, but for sure Switzerland is not that big also. We have uh, only like four or five months, maybe some nice sunshine. And yeah, I was lucky enough that my, my parents have um, uh, a car and a motorbike shop. So with three years old, they give me a small uh, sidecar and I drive around the house. <laughs> and yeah, I like it. And then, yeah, already with five years, they asked me, hey, if I want to make some motocross race. And yeah, then I did my first motocross race. Mm. At such a young age, five years old. Were you, did you start on the same bike everybody else rides of the Yamaha PW50? Ah, exactly. <laughs> yes, see, see. <laughs> yeah. I, think it's, I think it's the bike everybody rides. You know, so many riders, you go back to even Mark Marquez or John Hopkins, you know, they all start on the Yamaha PW50. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfect bike to start yeah. at a young age. So your foot nearly can go down to the ground and it's uh yeah somehow uh softly softly to ride <laughs> yeah exactly i mean they're mm. like the little tiny things i've never actually seen one in real life to be honest but they are absolutely they look absolutely minuscule anyway i mean from that first moment of obviously swinging your leg over the bike did you did you feel that like click inside you you know the like the because obviously you racers you're like a different breed you know your passion for the sport and everything is supersedes anything that we ever could imagine you know the passion the dedication you put into it did you feel that spark ignite the first time you sat on the bike and rode it um yeah always when i jump on the bike i had uh, 
a lot of uh, lucky hormones or how you say like a lot of <laughs> adrenaline and uh, yeah. happiness and yeah I, I never want to stop the bike so uh, just my my mama come came and say hey you need to stop the neighbors they get angry and uh, <laughs> yeah it was it was something like that and yeah on this age i i was just dreaming about to do this one time for uh, for my life or hmm. to to be a a professional professional rider yeah yeah i mean when is it you realize that actually no you could actually do this for your career and for your job and and for your life how old you, were you and what what made you actually realize that no actually i could do this you know full time kind of thing uh I think was around 12, 11, 12, 13, yeah. when I was uh, starting to uh, change from motocross to road racing. Mm. And uh, on this age, I need to decide which way I want to go. And mm. on, on, on this time, I, I was thinking, yeah, which, which way I should go and where i could make my my career yeah yeah okay and so from that point you've realized that actually no you you could actually do this full-time as a job and instead of you know whatever you were possibly looking to do so what how does that how does the racing kind of how does that work with school you know do you have to you know are you sat in the back of a motorhome writing you know school questions as well whilst racing or did you kind of do what a lot of riders do and just not kind of stop going to school kind of thing <laughs> yeah uh for sure yeah with this age uh when i was 12 13 um i was already racing in a german championship so hmm. uh i needed to go out from school on on wednesday or thursday so i miss yeah many many classes sometimes even on on monday mm. and uh yeah the the teacher g gave me some uh uh homework work to do but normally i was doing this just one hour before i go to the school because <laughs> <laughs> when i went when i went with the camping car and my mother to to germany let's say uh I was already focusing on on racing, and I I didn't have any time to make my school things. But yeah, it works works well, and um, yeah, I'm still racing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's very clearly just it's paid off, hasn't it? <laughs> to be you know a world champion now. Yeah, for sure, this paid off. Yeah, and I mean obviously. Looking through your career and stuff, you obviously got called up back in 2006 to make your debut in the World Championship. What was that like? You know, the feeling the first time when you realised, you know, you got that call and you were like, you know, come and race in the 125cc World Championship. What was that feeling like when you realised that, you know, you had made it kind of thing? Yeah, this was uh, for sure a, a dream come true because I was... Um focusing to to be uh in the world championship uh and watch the, the uh, races always on television every weekend and then on 2006 when i get my first wild card in uh estoril portugal 
in one to five was uh, crazy. I was in the paddock, see all the big names. Mm. Uh, Rossi was parking with with his motorhome not far away oh. from mine, and yeah, we had uh, a very special weekend, and yeah, was just like a dream. Yeah, I can imagine the feeling of seeing Valentino Rossi's motorhome over there. You know, like because that was two thousand six. You know, so he was already a seven. Yeah, seven-time champion at that point. So you I must missed. have felt on top of the world. Yeah, it was was crazy. I was uh, always looking out of the motorhome and uh, waiting when Vale was coming back. And I tell to my mama, hey, when he is back, we need to make a photo. So for sure, I was not the only one on uh, this time. And mm. I, I remember I got one photo just like... 50 people is around and I'm just maybe in the second row and looking to him and I yeah. get the picture. So, yeah, a very special, special photo and a special day for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. It's incredible to see the, you know, the what he's done for the sport and push it to the new levels. And it's, it's for me as a fan, it's it's quite cool to hear, you know, riders like yourself who are world champions in your own right still talk about Valentino Rossi in this in this manner of you know being you know for what he's done for example you know he, he's a legend you know <laughs> yeah it's clearly uh for sure this uh, last year a sad news that he will stop uh, racing but he will be always there and uh he's the god of of motorbike so it's uh yeah I think we can uh be very thankful what he gives to our sport all yeah, 100%. So the question is, is he the greatest of all time? <laughs> uh, yeah, we, we can say he's he's the greatest of all time because yeah. uh, nearly 20 years of racing, uh, a nine, nine world champion uh, titles in, uh, in all the classes, uh, mm. many wins and yeah. He was still with uh, 42 years old. He was uh, one of the fastest guy in the world. Uh, I think he still he still is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for sure there is coming some other names, uh, some legends. But when when we talk about motorsport, about motorbike, there is uh, only Rossi that everybody knows. Yeah, you're you're completely right. You know the amount yeah. of times of. Spoken to somebody who doesn't really know the sport, they always they always know Valentino Rossi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to argue with that, isn't it? That's the thing. Yeah, it's, it's spot on, really. Um, and obviously, then you you kind of made your way through the championships, and you spent a few years in the multi five CC class with the IO squad, and then you made kind of a move into the Moto two class in twenty ten, and it's kind of first year riding for the Suter chassis, which you actually raced for five years, so. Obviously, when you race for Suter, you know you had arguably some of your best years in Moto Two on the Moto Two on the Suter chassis. You know your results speak for themselves with, um, you know, various victories. You know, so many podiums, P five in the championship multiple times. You know, and in you know in 2013, 2014, you did come home in P five in the championship. Then for 2015, the team swapped to Kalex, and your Kind of your results did drop quite significantly. 
So what was there about the change that made it so difficult to adapt? And where was it the, the suitor excelled against the Kalex? Yeah, uh, difficult question. <laughs> so I had uh, very nice seasons with with Suter, with the team Technomark Car Expert uh, team, and yeah. then when the sw- swap was coming from Suter to Kalex, for me was yeah, it was quite a big change, and mm. I not get immediately fast with this bike. Uh, sure, I get one one podium also in, in 2015. Um, mm-hmm. I think my last podium even this was. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, um, in um, Italy, yeah, Mugello. Mugello, yeah. The other one was taking away again. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. sad that day, honestly. Oh, that broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the just the chassis by himself how how the feeling I get, how my riding style fit to the to the chassis was not what maybe I needed hundred percent, but yeah, my my season thirteen and fourteen was so strong that mm. was also quite difficult um, to be much better because yeah, I get uh, uh, five podiums in. Um, in 2014 and many many top 10 and top 5 but mm. yeah just mm. uh yeah not everything was going together i i think end of 15 i had also uh an accident then um with some injury and yeah this was making my life more hard to to get the result yeah yeah cuz that was when um Nicola Corona made his World Championship debut at 16 years old. That was obviously when you did get injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you chose, um, unless I'm getting the years wrong, but then you chose um, you chose Josh Hook as well, didn't you? I believe, if I remember <laughs> rightly, you spoke to Josh Hook and obviously put him forward for the team to replace you. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we, we yeah. was uh, good friends because we meet us in, in Suzuka for the eight hours. Yeah. And he was my teammate there, and yeah, I tried to to help him to to get in the Moto Two class. Yeah, yeah. great um, gesture. I do have a question about uh, going back to your, the Suda. Did um like the Swiss connection of you know with the chassis being Swiss, etc., and yourself? Did that help you ride like to tailor with what you wanted compared to the Kalex? Um, uh, for sure it helps because. They they always wanted to have the Swiss rider uh, on top uh, as a manufacturer mm. from Switzerland. So sure, I get always some uh, special support from them. And yeah. also in the end, there was not so many suitor riders anymore. So um, they they uh, try also to modify the the chassis, my direction and my riding style. So for sure, this was helping a lot. Okay, cool. I always wondered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, you, it was, what was it? It was you, Thomas Luthi, and uh, Robin Mulhauser, wasn't it? Who all, all ra- raced the uh, Suzuki? Suzuki's? in the, <laughs> obviously, the Techno, Techno Mag squad back in the days. Um, and obviously, keeping on the lines of, like, you know, the difference between the Suter and the Kalex, obviously, you're, you're massively experienced in Moto2. You know, you've spent a decade in the class obviously making some appearances in 2020 
you've ridden nearly every available chassis in the series, including obviously the Suter, the Kalex, the KTM, the MV Augusta, and even the NTS. <laughs> what is it about each chassis that makes them so different to one another, or are they quite similar? And when you've got two riders on the same chassis, for example, to you and Thomas Luthi when you were in the same team, how can a team look to seek out an advantage over one another using the same chassis? Yeah, it's a it's a privilege to to ride so many different um, chassis. Um, yeah. For sure, all of them have uh, their um, uh, how you say their positive and negatives. Yeah. Um, what I can say for sure, it's the Kalex, uh, Suter, and KTM. They are the the chassis that are uh, the most delo- development and. They are um, very similar from uh, when you get a, a good uh, feeling and a good setup for your writing style, you can be very fast. And in the other side, uh, NTS and MV Augusta was um, MV Augusta was a complete new chassis, and NTS they had some years already um, experience. But the problem is in this class. If you cannot develop and write with uh, many writers that give you the information that you can go in one direction, you cannot really make the chassis work for this uh, small tens or thousands what you need in Moto2. Mm. So, uh, yeah, some some chassis was strong on the brake, the other one more with the grip or... Uh, there is also some aerodynamics, um, the the weight or uh, the cooling system and stuff like this. There is all small details in Moto2. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what do you speak about for the teammate when when uh, two riders ride the same bike? Or, or what was your question uh, exactly? Yeah, sorry, it's quite it's quite a long question. So <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so yeah, what is it about? No, so that's the, oh, I can't read apparently. Um, we knew that. Yeah, we know that already. Um, so when you've got two riders on the same chassis, for example, two riders on the Suter, for example, you and Thomas Luthi, how can a team look to seek out an advantage over for one rider over another rider on the same chassis? Um, yeah, it's uh, all riders have their own riding style a little bit, and then in the winter test, when you ride the bike, you find out which direction you need to go with the setting. Mm. And uh, yeah, when you get a rider like Luti or um, yeah, some rider, they are have just different styles than you. Uh, me, I was more the Heartbreaker, um, a little bit stop and go, uh, but Luthi was more the softer breaker, more floating through the corner, more smooth, and then the the settings of the bikes is quite different, so uh, mm-hmm. it's quite difficult to really uh, make a similar setup to to be same fast, but mm. o- only what what can helps uh, if the team made this fast for sure it's always the goal to be faster 
uh, than your teammate, <laughs> the first yeah. goal. <laughs> yeah, and, 100%. And then also on the weekend, you can uh, check the data so you can see what he makes different in which corner, uh, if you have different gear or different gearing. Uh, maybe sometimes also the, this, uh, how we say, the, the tire. Uh, mm. when we have two different tires in Moto2 um, yeah but the other thing for sure we we always talk about and also the, the crew chiefs they talk which direction they go but most of the time uh, each rider have their own uh, favorite settings yeah. uh, that's it's interesting because you know, I, I um, obviously with the different riding styles and stuff, you know, you expect it to be, you know, to make the difference with one rider to another. So I guess obviously some riders are just more suited to different chassis, like you've said, obviously with the Suter and the Kalex and how different they are. And yeah, it's, um, you know, it's interesting to see that riders, some riders may flourish on some chassis and and not on another, especially when you've got two completely different riders in the same team with different styles, like you've mentioned. <clears throat> so yeah, and obviously you you've got your um your countrymen as well in the same squad in that Swiss team. <laughs> yeah, um, how did you find the like the transition from the six hundreds to the seven six five? Because obviously you rode the NTS with the seven six five engine, but you rode the Honda six hundred motor twos for years. How, was it a bigger shot as you thought it'd be? Um, was was nice because I was uh, riding nearly ten years, no, uh, maybe eight or nine years on the six hundred Honda engine four cylinder, uh, and the the times went every year a little bit faster, but the engine was always same fast. So <laughs> this was a little bit. Uh, how you say? Yeah, a little bit disappointed that they ne- don't make it a little bit more fast. And <laughs> then when the seven six five Triumph three cylinder engine was coming, you could feel immediately that there is a little bit more power, uh, also a little bit more torque. So it was slightly different riding, and yeah, for sure for a rider uh, to to jump on a bike and you you can feel to have more power. It's it's always nice because. A writer uh, expect always some more power. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I, I, obviously with the the six seven six five seems like you've got more line choice, line freedom compared to like the Honda where you've just had to take the single line and hope you nailed it almost. Yeah, in Moto Two, the <laughs> the lines is so small. Um, yeah. Yeah, you if you miss one meter in the apex or in the entry or exit, then you just lose slightly, and uh, doesn't matter if you make this with the six hundred or with the with the triumph. Uh, the the times is is too small, and when you make a small small mistakes online, it will count on the finish line. So uh, <laughs> there yeah. is no no place to make uh, any small mistakes or offline you you lose with with both engine too much in moto 2 because all the the bikes or riders they are so strong that uh, you you are just then some place behind yeah makes sense because obviously control class yeah 
It's it's actually like ridiculous how close together Moto Two is these days. What is it like? The amount of times I've seen this year, I think what twenty five riders within a second of one another, and it's it's terrifying. Is it is it daunting? For example, for a rider like you to be on track with riders knowing how you know small the limits are, or how you know like one tiny mistake can literally be the difference between maybe twelfth place and twenty third. Is that is that a bit daunting for you, or do you just kind of it's just part of the job? No, it was was very hard to 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 swallow these results sometimes because you you give your hundred percent or hundred ten percent, you push all full on the limit, full risk, and mm. you are under a second, but sometimes you are out of twenty. So <laughs> this was yeah so difficult for the mental side and yeah uh, yeah. When you you think ah you can go just one or two tenths faster and you are maybe in in top fifteen or top ten even mm. and yeah this was very hard to to get and uh, yeah the last years in Moto Two was was like this. So based on that of what you've just said, do you prefer racing Moto E and World Supersport because it's maybe a bit more spread about, or would you? Do you still prefer kind of Moto Two? <laughs> uh, no, I I I was uh, sure liking to to ride uh, more in Moto Two, um, but I didn't get the chance to to go in a top team with a top uh, bike. Mm. Uh, sure, I had many years to show, but yeah, in the last last few years there was some some other uh, mistakes by by injuries or injury or. Uh, changing uh, team or sponsor and stuff like this was was not making me easier to get the result. So mm. this is why I was, uh, yeah, get kicked off a little bit uh, from the Moto2 class. And uh, the only chance I get was in the Moto E. <laughs> yeah. So I take this. And yeah, uh, yeah. I was uh, trying to, to show my potential last year in or two years ago in Moto E to to be able to be back in Moto Two but with all this uh COVID situation was not that easy. And then yeah last year I could do two classes with the super sport that I could race a little bit more weekends than only seven events. Mm. So this was a, a perfect choice I did. Yeah absolutely I think genuinely with the combining Super Sport and Moto E is you know, it's been an actually fantastic decision for you because you know you very nearly managed to win two titles in the same season. Um, <laughs> going on to that, actually, I'll go forward to one of my questions. What is actually the most difficult thing about competing in two categories in the same season? Because obviously, you had to miss Catalonia in World Superbikes this year because of the clash with, I believe, it was Mazzano. Mm-hmm. Um, did this make you worry a little bit about your super sport title? You know, if your rival, say Stephen Odendahl, could etch out, say, two victories, did it make you worry or were you just calm and collected about the whole thing? Yeah, uh, for sure. First, I I want to say uh, thanks to, to both of the teams uh, from the Intac team and Tenkate because it's not normal also that they let the writer right in a different team in a different class so this was mm-hmm. the first thing we needed to 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 get 
and then for sure also with with all the the manufacture um, with all the um, supplier uh, if it's a uh, helmet leather suite boots and all the sponsors uh, we need to fix for two categories so this was for sure a big job in the winter time hmm. and uh, yeah the the bike swapping was quite quite easy for me um because the Moto E bike is a completely different bike. And uh, yeah, we, we was knowing that maybe we will have a clash, but the priority have Moto E. Mm. So my goal was just in Supersport to to be uh, as good as possible to get as many points in, uh, in advance. And yeah. <laughs> I did it. I I think uh, when I was coming, uh, when I was going to Misano, I had sixty two points in advance when they was riding in Barcelona Supersport. Yeah, you you because I remember watching the races obviously leading up to it, and commentators were saying, you know, you needed to, you were basically just pushing to try and get that gap as high as you could, you know, and you got quite, I don't want to say fortunate because you know Mason, you do make your own luck, but you got quite. You know, Stephen really didn't have a great weekend in Catalonia, and it, it must have been a massive sigh of relief for you when you, you know, when you're sat in Bizarro, wishing you could be, you know, two places at once. It must have been quite relieving to know that actually, you know, your your leader's pretty safe even after the whole Barcelona race weekend. Yeah, this was for sure. Already, I was quite relaxed when I go to Misano because when you have sixty-two points uh, advance. You know mm. that when he wins two times, you're going to the next race still with 12 points uh, in front. And uh, of course, I was uh, closely close looking at the, the races. And yeah, uh, <laughs> a small smile I had on my face when uh, I see that um, yeah he did not get uh, as many points that uh, I was uh, expecting. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> I, bet, did... I bet you slept well. Well, I, I was going to say, I bet you slept well that night, but after the whole Moto E thing, which I will ask about now, um, I don't think you did. Um, so obviously, anybody who doesn't know and doesn't watch Moto E, the, um, the race at Mazzano, the Moto E title, came basically down to the last race with Jordi Torres racing against, obviously, Domi for the Moto E title. And it came down to the penultimate order when the, both the riders collided on track. I'm trying to pick my words nicely here. I don't want to disrespect <laughs> anyone. They, you came together on track and Jordi Torres went down and you basically finished the race and you were the Moto E champion. As time went on and, you know, the people viewed the footage and social media warriors went out with their pitchforks for you and, you know, Jordi obviously was, you know, quite emotional as well in pit lane. As time went on, you then were stripped of the title and lost the title. What are your thoughts on the incident and then the consequences of the incident as well? Yeah. Yeah, so all that don't watch Moto E, uh, they should watch because for yes. sure it's, uh, it's fun. Because it's amazing, it's only yes. be- between uh, five and seven laps race so it's always uh, all in <laughs> and yeah. big big fights um yeah uh, i was knowing that i can win the title 
when I finish first and the Torres finish uh, third or behind. So yeah. I saw him, he is first, I was second. Uh, I was overtake him a few times to at least win the race, but he always uh, uh, overtake me back. So I was coming the last uh, lap. We was again battling. Uh, three corners before the end, I uh, again attack him on the brakes. Uh, for sure, uh, a hard and uh, uh, a hard, a hard move. Uh, yeah. He he was touched my rear wheel. Uh, he fell down, and yeah, I finished the race at first, and I had uh, for ten minutes the the champion feeling <laughs> in me, <laughs> making some wheelies, some burnouts, celebrating yeah. with the team. And then was coming the decision that I get the penalty and the penalty was 38 seconds that uh, put me back to the 12th place. So I was not finishing uh, first in the championship. Um, yeah. We um, was trying to to speak with the stewards to to make a protest to to change the the uh, how you say the the result yeah, yeah the, the result, result yeah. but yeah there was no chance and was a little bit disappointed or quite a lot of bit disappointed because i think the the penalty they give me is uh, much too high because when you was watching some weeks later uh, Gartner was making a similar move. One rider crashed down, and he was getting a long lap penalty. And the long lap penalty, it's normally three seconds. And with yeah. three second penalty, I would still win the championship. But they just didn't want that I win the champion. Yeah, it's uh, it sparked a lot of the. It doesn't help that Jordi's Spanish. It, it, um... <laughs> oh no, don't say that. <laughs> It, um, no, but it sparked a lot of, you know, debate, you know, the whole Spanish mafia thing that got <laughs> drilled in everywhere. But you make a good point, actually a really good point about obviously Remy Gardner and only getting maybe like a, you know, three second penalty when you got 38. And it goes into back to the point of, because a lot of people complain about the inconsistencies that we see. Um I don't expect you to comment on that because, you know, I don't want you to get you in trouble there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is a lot of inconsistencies that we do see around, you know, incidents that happen from one rider to the next. Did, from obviously losing that title, did you then, did that gain you a lot of motivation to then push into World Supersport and make sure you take at least one of the two titles? Yeah, sure. The, the motivation was so high and the, the angry... The hungry in inside me was quite big to to really show that I'm the the best rider in in the yeah in the world or in super sport and mm. sure to to take this title home was was even a yeah a bigger celebration than maybe take the Moto E title. Yeah, because it's uh, it's an FIM world title. Isn't I have a medal. <laughs> I have a question yeah. about Moto E though. Um, did you at any point? expect to keep the title or did you know because you'd made contact that it it was it was possible that it'd be taken away from you um no for for me it was clear that i win the championship because uh when you watch the race uh 
and also think uh, Torres need only to finish second and he would be champion. But he was uh, playing with me to to win the race, but was not necessary. So he was um, fighting with me to to win the race, and in the end. He pushed too much also. He he was not opening too much the door. So he was crashing down. And yeah, I think also in the f- video, you can see that he was really uh, sad. He was crying. And he was thinking that he make also the mistake to really fight with me. And um, yeah, then when the stewards say we we get the penalty i was still thinking no that's not possible we need to make a protest and uh, i think we can still win the keep the the the, the title but yeah was not possible what was their yeah. reasoning for 38 seconds that just seems so like arbitrary to me is that like pit lane time or yeah like... it's the, apparently it was the amount of time it would take you to get through the pit lane right yes Exactly. Uh, they they say the pit line uh, time was thirty eight seconds, but the the crazy things what they said <laughs> was that uh, if the this race would be in another uh, time uh, in the start of the season or middle of the season, the the um, penalty would be not the same. <laughs> so what? they yeah they absolutely <laughs> they actually said that want, okay yeah. They uh, they don't want that the race can be decided by crash out one other rider or the the championship. Oh my That's god! That's mental. That just goes way back into my previous point about the consistency <laughs> of these penalties, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Flip and heck, yeah, um, yeah. I didn't know that. I mean, for the um, firstly, yes, people should definitely be watching Moto E because it is some absolutely outstanding racing. I make sure to tune into every race because it is just, like you said, amazing. When you first obviously rode the motor e-bike, how, what were you expecting and what did you feel was, you know, exactly as you expected and what did you come away going, damn, I, did, I didn't expect it to be like that? Um, <laughs> yeah, sure, I was missing the, the gear shift, the clutch, the sound, yeah. the, the vibration. But uh, the crazy thing was that the bike was really like a normal bike. So you you can uh, uh, lay down uh, a lot. Uh, you have a lot of lean angle with this bike, a lot of corner speed. And in the slower corner, you have a lot of torque. Um, but mm. in the faster corner, you need to open the gas already before the apex. Uh, again, full gas. So this was changing the uh how you say the mental side a little bit and the riding style of the bike mm. and then you could really feel the weight of the of the bike when you are braking because uh, the bike is 270 kilo and uh, the super sport bike or the moto 2 bike is around 140 160 kilo so you can feel this 100 kilo or even more uh when you are braking especially yeah, I can imagine you do. I mean, when obviously riding, going from riding, say, a Super Sport to a Moto E throughout the season, do you find that quite difficult or is it just a very easy transition? You know, after the, maybe the first lap, you're back to being, you know, you know what you're doing kind of thing. 
uh, for sure for me it was much more easy to jump on the super sport bike because the bike is much more familiar to to all the bikes i rode and uh, also the the time you have to get again used to the bike in super sport is much more long or much more uh, it's longer because you have two times 45 minutes on friday and you can make uh eight laps make a small stop in the box again eight laps but with the moto e bike you start on friday you have six lap and then uh it's finished <laughs> and in these six <laughs> laps you need to to be already uh the fastest and because in the afternoon maybe uh five six seven hours later you have again six lap and mm. in the next day you have one qualifying lap and on sunday the race and yeah on the moto e bike it's still a little bit different the the riding compared to all other bikes because of the electric uh, engine and yeah this was making me a little bit more uh, difficulties to to really be uh, from the first lap on fast yeah no i can imagine especially such a little seat time as well to then you have to push it you know because there's like so little rounds as well um i guess that most of you then it means you're in the same seat because a lot of riders obviously will double team say moto e with say a super sport class or the race i don't know the you know the chev class like Fermin Aldeguer did um or even like sometimes world championships you know um so it is you know to have such little seat time is it's must be quite difficult sometimes <laughs> yeah yeah you, you cannot really imagine because uh for sure for me it's very good to have all the experience uh of the of the bikes of different bikes but also of the race tracks because if you don't know the race track and you come there for the first time you nearly have no chance to to get to the speed in in uh, in these few laps you can do on the track yeah absolutely um all right i want to ask a question then this is a question actually that i've been dying to know for a long time and actually i want you to set the record straight with me as well because i might be wrong when i ask this uh-huh. yeah I we're, gonna, this. we're gonna reel back the years a bit to 2016 i think you already know what's coming um Obviously, you raced for the Swiss team for quite a long time. You had a great relationship with them. And with four rounds to go, I'm going to use the word fired. But if you if it's wrong, then please correct me. Um, but from what I have been told, they the team obviously fired you with four rounds left to go after you had confirmed to them that you were leaving the team to race for the Kiefer squad for next year. Are you able to shed any light into actually actually what happened, like the fact of what happened that time, that day? Yeah. That year? <laughs> <laughs> Crazy stuff happened there, yeah. Yeah. Um, because we was um, first nearly signing the contract to, to uh, continue with the Swiss team. But uh, on the contract was uh, different things that we spoke about. So... Uh, in 2017, I I would like to go back to to Suter, to the Suter bike and also have some different mechanics and crew chief. Um, but then in the contract, this was not 
like we was spoken about. And then they say, ah, if you want to ride with us, we we need to sign the contract like it is now. And I say, no, I cannot. So I was searching for uh, uh, a new team. And yeah, I got the chance to ride in the Kiefer team. And yeah, I was signing with them. And when uh, they find out or when when it was official, they yeah, they fired me for the last four rounds. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely mental situation, to be fair. Um, that they could just fire you like that. And, you know, with only, like you said, four rounds to go, it, it, it doesn't make sense, especially when a lot of your personal sponsors were on the side of the bike as well. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is this is crazy. I think this never happened in, in sport because uh, there is a lot of changing uh, the teams or riders that they change end of the season or even middle of the season or start of the season already and um yeah that this could happen uh, i i was i could not believe yeah did yeah, they ever was... explain why or did they just say you're out <laughs> with as uh... much as you can say <laughs> no no they they just say i'm i'm out I think they wanted uh, to give the chance to to Leguana to already make some uh, preparation for 2017 because they was also speaking already on this time with him. So I I think yeah, just just this yeah. <laughs> some I I really never find out exactly why. Yeah, it seems yeah, a little it, unfair. I gotta be honest. It was strange because I do remember obviously the Lecorono was only sixteen at the time, doing quite well in the film chair for the team because they were on like a, I guess a team for him and the squad. So I could see that side, but it, it didn't benefit the team a lot because you saw over the years the team's now evolved obviously into the American Racing team after it was sold um, to Eaton at American Racing, but the team never really. When they got rid of you, the team never really kind of reached the heights of what they had previously after that. Um, you know, Thomas Luffy going in and obviously doing what he did, you know, nearly winning multiple Moto2 championships on the squad. It's, um, yeah, it's strange to see such a, you know, what you look from the outside in, such a strong, great team for that to happen. Yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I think I was. So this a little bit coming because um, uh, the the people around was was maybe not looking the same way that that uh, yeah we was looking for in 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 2014 and 15 something like this and then yeah the yeah later on the the sponsor went away and I think I was so this also coming so this is why I was also changing the the team then yeah yeah understandable completely um cameron do you have any questions yeah i um i've got a couple that are just a little bit more light-hearted um (laughs) yeah yeah maybe not quite as techie or or anything that uh you'll really have to think about too hard (laughs) um yeah i you know i i is there anything are there any like little things that you miss during the off season and stuff or anything that you miss about the paddock or whatever just when you know you're sitting at home and you're like oh man there's just little things that 
um, make you like can't wait to be back? <laughs> oh yes, uh, a lot of things because uh, I love racing. Uh, I love to see both of my teams. Um, also the paddock. I have a lot of friends there. If it's uh, from the past years, um, for sure the World Superbike paddock it's new, but. Uh, I I think I'm quite an open person, so I I make also already some good friends there, yeah. and yeah, just just the racing. I think I'm I'm a racing boy, so to compete, uh, to see who is better, this is what I uh, love most, and it's in this time what I miss most. <laughs> cool, uh, cool. That's nice. Okay, yeah, nice. Of course, all the all the. Um, tension what you have on the weekend yeah uh, this is this is nice and this is what i miss a little bit and now i'm i'm in switzerland and for sure when we are racing it's most of the time plus plus 10 or plus 15 so i i miss for sure also the the hot and the sun <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair enough i know how you feel i'm up in scotland and um yeah <laughs> uh Cool, thanks. And then I also, another thing I wanted to know, I guess, uh, you might not even know the answer to this, to be honest, but what do you think you would be doing if you weren't doing this? What, the podcast now? <laughs> You'd probably be doing much better things than this. <laughs> no, no, I mean, like, you know, if you weren't doing, you know, if you weren't racing, if that the wasn't racing. your career, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, what, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, when I was uh, finished my school uh, in Switzerland, you start to work, and I was um, making my uh, uh, work as a motorbike um, mechanic. So I think when I would be not motorbike racer, I would be a, a mechanic. Fair. But, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, this is sounds a little bit strange, but all my life I I raced so. I cannot think what I would do <laughs> if I not yeah, not something you know but... like shoe repairs or something like that. You know, it's just yeah, <laughs> fair. No, but I think I have some fuel in my body and everything. What is with engine? I just love it. Awesome, good shout. That's Thanks. a good answer. That is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I I do have a question. Obviously, with with you being um, from Switzerland, etc., and obviously not that many people coming through. Um, who do you see as the big Swiss talents to look out for in the future? <sighs> yeah, this is a, a very difficult point. Um, also, for sure, uh, a sad year last year for the Swiss motor bikes um, mm -hmm. that we lost uh, Jason Dubaskia. He was the new um, hero here in Switzerland. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I say in the start, we have no racetracks. Uh, we have a long time winter and bad weather. Um, so it doesn't make it easy to young talents to to come up to to German championship, Spanish championship. Um, yeah, also maybe the money we have in some companies to, to support, but they they don't support the the motor motorsport as much as maybe uh ice hockey or football or something like this so uh it will be 
in my future plans to help to support the young kids a little bit to get on the road to 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 motorsport racing but now there is only a few a few riders that they really can step up to maybe to to world championship but uh until now it's quite difficult to to see or to to help them yeah that's yeah, fair understandable um yeah, if you cause... if you had to pick out a couple of a couple of the future swiss talents who, who you you would say look out for those who would you pick sorry if um if you had to pick out some of the swiss talents say like you know some of the swiss riders who you had to name to say look look out for these these are going places who would you name um, we have uh, noah tetwiller he's writing uh, in the Spanish Championship and uh, in the Red Bull Rookies Cup, for sure, uh, I think he can get uh, up to to MotoGP uh, or one to five. Uh, no, sorry, Moto Three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we have Dotti. Uh, there is two brothers that they are riding in uh, IDM in the German Championship. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that that is. That is it, uh, for sure. Some small, small uh, talents is around, but uh, I cannot really tell which which names are that are possible to really step up to the world championship. Fair enough. Yeah, I I know why Jacob's asking that because he's friendly with a Swiss rider called Killian Nestola. Have you heard of him? Uh, no. Now he's racing in the it's like obviously the FIM CV Moto Two series has like a super stock class in there. Um, okay. He'll race in that this year, I think, for the um, yeah for Fo Fifty Five for ah, Hector Fobel squad. Hector Fobel's squad. Okay. So, yeah. So keep an eye out for him. <laughs> okay, I will check around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he's good. Um, question about your racing career, obviously over the whole because obviously you've had quite a long racing career do you actually have any regrets in your career is there anything you'd go back if you could in a time machine and do differently or do you feel that you know everything you've done previously has made you into the rider you are today uh yeah of course if i can go back with the same experience uh that i have now i would do some uh, different things some different races (laughs) Yeah, but <laughs> but I think I I had uh, until now a very uh, progressive career, um, some up and downs. Um, yeah, like many different experience with different teams, different chassis. Uh, I worked with a lot of uh, different uh, manufacturer of of. Uh, uh of the bikes of the the all all the kind kind of stuff like this and also um different crew chiefs so i think i i get a lot of experience and yeah i think uh i i did always my best uh i pushed always very hard maybe sometimes too hard uh <laughs> <laughs> but i think uh yeah 
if if you would if I I would look back, I I think I I did my best I could do in in these moments and uh yeah I no regret <laughs> yeah not not uh it doesn't come one in my mind just now <laughs> good good that's what you want to hear um I do have one question about um. MotoGP and obviously you never made the step, but you tested various machines. Uh, how come MotoGP move never came about? What was like the stumbling block? Like what what prevented you from actually making the step up? <laughs> yeah, this is a a big dream that was always in my mind. It's still in my in my mind to to ride uh, MotoGP, but I was uh, testing. Uh, I think three times the MotoGP bike and was impressive how much power they have, uh, how the electronic works, the, the carbon brakes. And yeah, I don't know why they never took me to MotoGP me because there is some other riders, they never get this result what I get. But it's maybe similar that this year I would like to jump up to Superbike, but uh nobody wants me so uh i just can show uh what i do uh, to to make good results and then it's not only in my hands to to get the right in in a in a different class or in a in a higher class so yeah uh i don't know if it's my my age maybe now uh, i'm 31 mm. or if it's my nationality from switzerland Maybe the the market is not so big for for few teams or a few uh, manufacturer, so I think this is this is why they they didn't took me. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I'm quite sad that you didn't get a superbike seat because I think myself and many other people all were expecting you to move up to a superbike team for this year. Yeah, I keep forgetting what year we're in. I can be him like myself, you know, you're a super sport champion. The next thing is to move up to a class. And um, I don't know, obviously, what brand you would have wanted to ride. You know, the Yamaha seems to be the favorite one with obviously them absolutely just winning every class this year, pretty much. Um, you know, and a few riders really did actually not get a seat. You know, like British superbike champion Taron McKenzie didn't get a superbike seat either when really you and Taron should deservedly have a seat from your achievements this year um and obviously you are now going back into super sport this year do you feel that you know you can do the title again maybe take the title again and then maybe try again for a super bike seat or are you going to try and go for um keenan safoglu's five title record <laughs> no for sure my my target is to to go up to to super bike because uh, i like to ride bikes with a lot of power, with more heavy weights. Um, I think I show also my potential in the eight hours of uh, Suzuka that I can ride a, a, um, a heavier bike. And yeah, <laughs> for sure my, my goal is to defend the title this year. But with all the new regulation coming in in uh, Super Sport with... Uh, with Ducati Triumph, uh, Ami Augusta was coming with uh, more um, uh, more cubic uh, with with different engines. So I don't know exactly how it will work. So uh, yeah, my goal is just to be the best Yamaha and Kawasaki rider and 
uh, yeah, try to to win again some races. <laughs> yeah, um, you've mentioned the the rule changes. What's your opinion on those? Do you think um, there's going to be a runaway Ducati more than anything? Because obviously they've got like near enough double the CC of the bikes, even though it's a twin. Um, can you see any equality, or do you think um, Yamahas have got a bit of a raw deal? Mm, it's very difficult to 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 say something about because I don't know how fast the, the Ducati will be, the Triumph, or also even the Emi Augusta with this uh, yeah eight hundred yeah. uh, Emi Augusta the. Ducati is nine five five two cylinder and yeah. the Triumph will be seven six five. Yep, I think something like that. So, uh, yeah, really, I don't know uh, how they will fix the the problems. I think they will make uh, some some weights on the bike, some uh, um, RPM drop if the bike will be too fast, something like that. So they can get some equality inside the class, and I hope we we can find out this uh, very soon to to see how strong they are and how uh, how we can beat them. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I I could be wrong here. I might be wrong, but I think I read something about the Ducati getting being capped at like eleven thousand two hundred rev. I could be completely yeah. wrong no, there. You're right. You're right. Um, but yeah, I think there's some engine cats but if it's worth anything i was speaking to uh simon jesperson who i think you know quite well because he got to ride your bike and he said that after looking at your data the things you can do on a motorbike were like unbelievable and there was no chance in hell he could do anything like it <laughs> so <laughs> i think you might have it in the bag this year <laughs> yeah this was also quite fun i i meet him in the winter by training in in Spain in uh, Supermotard, so he helped me out there a little bit because I was always alone on my on my training. So mm. um, I pushed him, or I pushed the team to to get him in inside the team in Barcelona. And uh, yeah, uh, like you say, he was a little bit surprised how how late I can break and uh, <laughs> stuff like this uh, because yeah, you can see two completely different riding style and yeah he was not really fitting well to my uh setup and yeah this is why maybe he was not uh so fast than in uh in navarra for example yeah yeah because he um he was he was battling with you in nevada wasn't he he was uh, <laughs> right at the front it, was, it shocked everybody to be there i think even the commentators were like who's this kid <laughs> <laughs> yeah um as well, on the topic of your riding style, you've got a peculiar riding style with a whole head tilt. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, many people uh, laugh about about my riding style um, or about my head style, but somehow um, I feel well. <laughs> yeah. I feel I feel uh, the speed. I feel I see where I need to go, and I can go fast like this. So yeah. <laughs> this is all what we need to do, no? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's unique and it's it makes it makes you you. I mean, obviously, it, you can tell who you are with a massive flag on your helmet. But every time you see like your head, you're like, "That's Tommy. That's Tommy." Yeah. <laughs> Even in a black helmet, you'd be able to tell who it was straight away. Yeah, yeah. 
Right, I'm going to pull up some questions um, from Instagram. I've asked Instagram and there are hundreds, so I'm not going to go through them all because it would, would be here for like 10 hours. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll pick out some of the best ones about them. Um, and you've got you've got a lot of Swiss fans, may I say. Flipping heck. Um, I've just read uh, Simon Jesperson's one who says, word for word, how does it go so fucking fast on the arse? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I got a question from Bruno Kiss seventy seven, um, good good Instagram out there, who said, "How did number seventy seven become your number?" I'm a big fan of you because I also use seventy seven. Wishing you luck. Oh, thank you. I wish you also luck. Um, uh, the, I take the seventy seven because my father gave me the seven when I was riding a motocross uh, because his favorite rider was Barry Sheen. And, ah. yeah, so I was uh, riding until I get to the to the German Championship, and the seven was already given. So I take the seventy seven, and since there, this is uh, my number. Yeah, nice. You've got uh, taken bearing resemblance to uh, Barry Baltus in Moto Two because he uses seven for B- B- Barry Sheen as well. So okay, it's a bit of a yeah. That's cool. I like that. Um, got a question from oh, I'm going to butcher this one Gert Gert Jan Vorstock who says in what way has the 10k team who obviously are world champions multiple times how have they improved you as a racer and as a person ah the the, the name sounds uh, Dutch <laughs> yes so, it does <laughs> he for sure is a 10k uh, fan yeah um, yeah I think uh Tenkata is one of the best team, of course. They they win now eleven titles. Um, <clears throat> the the Dutch people they are very similar to the to the Swiss people be, from the uh, the working style and mm. um, yeah, uh, they I think the people who works there they they take uh, they keep me always calm. This is for sure some very good points. Um, I had a lot of trust. Um, they show a lot of respect and, uh, yeah, a lot of uh, work, how they work. But in the other part, they can be also fun. So they they make all the life this year much more easier for me. And I think we, we fit very well together. So this is why we could show also uh, a fantastic uh, season and with uh, such great results. Yeah, fantastic. Um, right, we've got quite a few good questions. This is actually a question we were going to ask you, and then we didn't because we're stupid. Um, so somebody else has asked it for us. That's great. Um, <laughs> back in 2015, you got some time testing the Kawasaki, obviously the Kira Kawasaki MotoGP prototype. Why did you ride it, and how was it? And was there anything Kawasaki were looking to enter MotoGP, or was it just kind of purely for testing development purposes? Uh, on this time, Akira wanted to join again the the MotoGP paddock to to come back, and yeah, of course, if you can get uh, um, a test on the MotoGP bike, uh, I think you cannot say no. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> yep. That doesn't matter which bike is it, because uh, it's it's a lot of fun, a lot of power, and. Yeah, I was uh, also happy enough or lucky enough that my team say, yes, I can do this test for, for Kawasaki. And 
yeah, it was was just amazing to to ride in Barcelona with 335 on the straight, uh, with with Lorenzo, with Rossi, with all these kind of people on the track was was just a, a day I will never forget. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it is genuinely just like a. You know, to say not many people in this world can say they've ridden with, you know, Valentino Rossi or Jorge Lorenzo on track like that. That is, wow. Um, <laughs> sorry, just to expand on that quickly, um, was it more similar to a prototype or a superbike that was modified? No, it was a, was a prototype. Was a... Yeah, in terms of feel, like, did it feel like a pure prototype bike? Yeah, was really a really prototype bike. Uh, maybe the engine was was something like a superbike but yeah i think there on a moto gp bike or a superbike bike with um, 240 250 horsepower <laughs> um you have so much power to to handle on the track so i think you have already uh more than enough power <laughs> fair enough yeah, good question. Um, right, so going back through the questions, we've got a question from Moto2 rookie this year, Sean Dylan Kelly, who's racing for the American Racing Team, who says, have you got any tips on how to be fast in Moto2? <laughs> uh, oof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> any tips? Uh, sure, it's it start now in the winter already to to prepare you physically and mentally very very good because the the season will be long uh physically and mentally um and if you are on top there it helps you during during uh, the weekend but uh <laughs> oh, yeah it's <laughs> many <laughs> it's so many things that i could give you tips to to write fast or, <laughs> but yeah, Moto Two is a class that it's so uh, difficult. Um, but yeah, it's just give your give your best. Uh, focus on your writing. Uh, focus with your team on your stuff uh, on your site. And uh, yeah, keep cool and uh, enjoy writing. I'd have Great thought it mind. would just be break later and accelerate earlier. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what the most people say when you are only uh, second place or 10th place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got one from Terry with 2i64 underscore who says, what is your priority this year to defend the Supersport title or win the Moto E title? Um, both. <laughs> it's my priority. <laughs> no, I, I'm uh, lucky enough that uh until now the calendar is like that we don't have any clash on uh on moto e or super sport so i can make every race this year will be oh, 40 good. races for me so uh, a long season a hard season um but this year the priority have super sport so when something happen uh if they change any dates um super sport will have the the priority and then moto e good I think sounds good. Yeah. Um, right. So I'm just trying to get some more questions because there's there's quite a lot. So I'm just going to go through. Um, I didn't know this happened actually. So this is quite cool. Um, got a question from underscore Brookie, um, who said, "What was it like working with Alex Hoffman as your riding coach? And are you still in contact?" Yeah, I was. Um, 
working with him in uh, ooh, 2013 or 14. <laughs> I don't remember exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Already some years ago. But yeah, it was for sure also one, one experience that I take uh, in my career to, to work with, uh, with a moto, ex-MotoGP rider um, to get some... Uh, tips from him to 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 ride the moto 2 bike faster and yeah i i for i take for sure all the the advantage of him uh all the experience and yeah it, it helps me to to be there uh to be um this person who i'm now <laughs> amazing right I'll ask you one more question because i'm fully aware that we've had you for a long time and i really don't want to eat too much into your evening and i do apologize <laughs> Um, um, can I ask one more? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm just very curious. <laughs> Say now, in an ideal world, you could move up to MotoGP with anyone. Who would you pick? Ooh. <laughs> He's thinking. <laughs> I know, it's difficult. No, I I think... Um, uh, I think... <laughs> I think Yamaha would be the bike that I my riding style would fit very well but yep. I think for a rider to have a fast bike like Ducati is it's uh, also very nice but I don't know if if my riding style would fix into the Ducati one but yeah maybe uh, when the dream came true maybe the, the Yamaha have some more power so I would choose Yamaha <laughs> No, fair enough. Um, right, like I've said, last question. Thanks, Jacob. Um, <laughs> from Andref Garcia, who says, "Who is the toughest rider um, that you've ever raced against?" <laughs> oh, <Ooh. laughs> asking the difficult, difficult questions here. <laughs> difficult, difficult question because uh, because you like to be I, the tough rider. Yeah, fight with. Uh, different people normally but i think uh with with mika kalio i had many many great battles um in uh from yeah when he was coming back from moto gp to moto 2 uh, we was similar fast and we we battled many weekends together and we had many great fair uh battles so uh i think this was one of yeah the hardest battles but for sure <laughs> like i say i could say every weekend uh, i have a different uh, rider that it's difficult to battle with it <laughs> yeah oh yeah 100 i can imagine um but yeah i don't i'm gonna wrap it up now because uh, we've been talking for a long time <laughs> um but thank you so much for coming on the podcast Tommy. i really appreciate it um really great to have you on like i said i um I watched your career for a long time and have idolized you myself for a while. Um, and yeah, it's really great to have you on. Um, do you want to plug anything, promote anything, promote any sponsors on the podcast whilst you got a minute? <laughs> uh, no, just uh, thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, if you if you want to have some more news, uh, you can follow me on my social. If it's Instagram or Twitter, Facebook, um, TikTok, YouTube, 
and <laughs> Snapchat. <laughs> oh wow! I, I got you on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. Got you everywhere, man. <laughs> Amazing. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, hopefully, Cameron hasn't struggled too much to back there. <laughs> no, man. I've I've just been yeah, enjoying listening. It's it's been a real privilege. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, that's the no word problem. I use. It's been excellent. Yeah, you are our Ooh. first. First world champion, so I do uh, I do appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll be back next time. Goodbye. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. Thanks, mate.